Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the arts and entertainment world. On today's show, we talk about creator intention when making art. We go in depth on death of the author and catch up on the latest news and releases. Season 5, baby! Song and I, Maddie, are back for season five. So exciting. Yes, we Welcome are back. Welcome to New Semester and all of that jazz. It's my last one. So it might as well. Yeah, right? Scary. We're going we're gonna to make sure that we go out with a bang. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Shenanigans only. Yes. We just spent the first uh, 25 minutes before recording just dancing to ABBA. <laughs> so we know it's going to be a good one. I think so. Well, as you mentioned in our little intro, we're going to talk about some creator intention when making art. We'll go and explain that if that doesn't make sense right mm-hmm. away. Also, some death of the author stuff. Good, good discussions, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think it's uh, it's an interesting topic, topic, and it's uh, definitely relevant because mm-hmm. it's a lot of a uh, lot of authors, a lot of producers that uh, are backtracking on their initial intentions here. Indeed. But before we get into that, we'd just like to give a special shout out to Kayla Mayer, who is our producer. Yes. Past couple of seasons, she will not be producing our show. This semester, but uh, always be a part of the medium. Fam. Sad boy moment. Sad boy moment. <laughs> Shut a tear. Raise a, raise a glass to Kayla Mare. There you go. Anyway, shall we get into it? We shall. And so we can start with uh, personal experiences with intentions and attitudes. Let's hear it. Yeah. So I like to think about my own work and what I do when we're talking about the intentions of uh, craft. Because... I think uh, I think we're in a market or in a time right now where a lot of people are very careful about what they do. And so they're very careful about the actions that they choose to pursue. Bars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, Is there a poet in the room? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about my own experience with phot- photography. And uh, very often or not, you can discuss whether someone is a photographer for fun, a hobbyist, just... Uh, doing it because they wanted to or someone could pursue that professionally Uh, as a professional photographer there's a lot of ways you can go like you can still have fun with it but you can also be very very serious Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, for a lot of photographers it's uh, either or it seems like and like myself I like to think about it as that I kind of just enjoy the act of taking photos and working with photography Mm -hmm. and so in that realm I can I see myself both having fun with it while treating it as, it as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, I think there's a lot of times where people don't see that difference because it's not really portrayed through photography that much what the intentions were. Because a lot of times I could be like, "Yeah, I took this fun this picture just for fun," mm-hmm. and then someone else reads that's so a very serious, like it has a lot of meaning to it, but it doesn't really. Sure. And then the flip side happens where it's like. Yeah, I like very much considered what this photo looked like and what I wanted it to mm-hmm. like uh, tell, like the story I wanted it to tell. And someone might perceive it as, you know, just fun. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think photography is an interesting example of intention. Um, you and I were talking a bit before this episode of if a photographer goes to a protest, they're obviously there for mm-hmm. 
a serious reason, that naturally is going to have a more serious tone. And hopefully the photographer would also approach that seriously and mm-hmm. have an air of respect for what's happening and for what they're trying to capture. But then also they could just go to a wall of graffiti and mm-hmm. try to be serious and make that like, oh, I'm on a work day. Or they could just be practicing, having fun. But then how that translates into other art forms kind of changes a bit. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's I think it's tougher in other uh, mediums than uh, photography. I think photography, while it's still hard, you can kind of tell when you're looking at a photo whether it's a serious tone or a more loose tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, for example, like in journalistic writing, I think it's tougher because uh, it should be more neutral and it should be more serious. But at times, you know, you can have writers like Hunter S. Thompson who approach it, it uh, you know, the gonzo journalism style. And I've brought this up many, many times in previous episodes. But he has this very funny take on things because it's written from this very subjective point of view, from his point of view, where he mm-hmm. is in the center of things. Uh, in photography, I think that's a little bit more difficult while... You could argue that some photographers, you know, put themselves in the middle of an action to get the shot, to tell the story. But, mm-hmm. um, but you still don't see their presence. Yeah. In the f- like, they're not they're typically not in, the, in the picture. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's it's tougher like that, where it's like, you could say that you were a part of it, mm-hmm. but you won't, you'll never see that because mm-hmm. you're behind the camera. So mm-hmm. uh, that makes it a little tougher. While in maybe journalistic writing, you your name is at the top. So that's very upfront. Mm-hmm. And so your opinions, which should not necessarily be in the text, will maybe show a little bit more. And it's a little bit more, it's a little easier to tell at times, I think. Right. So, yeah, taking that and moving it into the writing element of things, that's more my form of creation. Mm-hmm. Creation? That's really too fancy. <laughs> your uh, your uh, <laughs> craft of choice. My craft of <laughs> choice. Yes. Um, and I, there are definitely times where I sit down and I'm like, I'm so deep right now. I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I'm going to make this the most serious thing I can do. Uh And we'll just crank stuff out for however long I can comprehend. Uh Um, but then there are other times where it's just important to get words on a page to say that you did. And while that might be really bad quality or just kind of a silly, fun poem or story, what have you at least that's effort put into it and toward your skill, your craft, I suppose. Um, It's time invested. Yeah, Yeah. right. But that kind of gets into intention more so in published, produced, fully given to the public pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically with writing, an author is always going to be inherent in their work. Even if it's just the word choice they use, you can't make that a general sweep of diction across the board. Mm-hmm. Every author is going to have their specific ways of phrasing things all the way back from how they were taught grammar in the first grade mm-hmm. and how they are now. Um, and do you think for photography that there's like any personal touch or style that is inherent to a photographer's work? Or do you think that's a little easier to separate? I think it's... I think it's easier. Oh, it's kind of, that's a tough question because it's kind of both, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you take a step further than photography and you look at, for example, a cinematographer, Mm. like very distinct differences in what uh, cinematographers like to do and like how they like to frame things and compose things. Mm -hmm. And that can, like that relates back to photography. 
uh, but it's easier to see for a cinematographer because it's moving pictures, right? Like, it's easier to promote emotion, to show, like, uh, lighting, stuff like that. It's Because it's all dynamic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that as humans, we respond way better to dynamic pictures than to stills. Sure. So, but there's uh, there's definitely some people that you can see differences. Like, uh, oh, just thinking about someone real quick. Mm, like, uh, Annie Leibovitz and, mm -hmm. like, let's say Pe Peter McKinn because he's a contemporary photographer like those two widely different styles mm -hmm. uh, and those between those two you can definitely see that uh, there's a difference but think about all those photographers in between right and like the more you move towards the center of that spectrum you know the tougher it's going to be and then suddenly you're going to move mm -hmm. you know to one end or the other um, so I think yeah uh, to a degree to a at degree. least yeah because uh, I mean that does exist a little bit in writing that there are some that are just way wackier than others and mm -hmm. like a lot of contemporary novels kind of do sound the same but when you're getting into those authors that are going to be well known enough for their intention to be questioned mm -hmm. they probably have specific voices i think yeah because i would you agree or do you do you stand behind the theory that you know a well-established author is uh to some degree well-established because they separate themselves from other writers in the sense that they choose these different styles or they personalize their way of writing a lot more? Uh, yes and no. Well, okay, interesting. I, I definitely think some exist for that reason or some gain some popularity or success because of that. I find it hard with author, uh, author, authors, <laughs> <laughs> authors that are super successful mm -hmm. because a lot of times, the f this is just my opinion, this is definitely not a universal literary take um i think when author the more successful they get the less checks get put on their work mm. the less they get questioned with mm. their work because it's kind of like a, oh yeah they, wrote they know that. what they're doing yeah. right. right um and not that that leads them to not being as good of writers but mm. sometimes then their voice can be unchecked um i don't really know how that relates to what we're talking about right now but i think in that sense back to your question mm -hmm. Yes, it's part of making them stand out, but then no, because you still need the story yeah. and the quality to back that up. Yeah. I think it relates pretty well to what we're talking about. Like oh, you're, thank goodness. Like you're saying, oh, God. Like you're saying, though. Like, oh, tangent. <laughs> no, but for real. <laughs> just, the more author or producer goes unchecked, the more they can make these, like, they can make mistakes and they can, like, go, yeah. they can do things that otherwise other people regardless of your status would not be able to like continue with right and that yeah. well i mean music example queen mm -hmm. when freddie mercury went on his solo it didn't do as well because his vision his artistic voice and style went unchecked by his bandmates mm -hmm. and so it changed and like yeah. it might have been more of his what he wanted i guess mm -hmm. um but what made him so good was being in check with his other bandmates yeah. in Queen. Yeah. Different intentionality behind the music. Right. There we go. Yeah. That's what links it. <laughs> Segways are hard, huh? Oh, God. <laughs> left turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'll, okay. So continuing on with that, do you think, I guess mostly talking about literature at mm -hmm. this point do you think readers can eliminate author this is before we really get into death of the author mm -hmm. do you think it's even possible for readers to eliminate 
an author's voice or style, do you think they should try? Yeah, I think they should. Okay. I think they always should enter or go into a medium, regardless of what it is, literature or film or photography or whatnot, mm-hmm. with a very blank slate. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to eliminate any preconception you have about this author or this book or mm-hmm. this content and just absorb it. Yeah. And then after that, now let's start checking it. Sure. Because I think at the, in the second round through, you're going to start uncovering a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, if you were to do that the first time, not only are you going to miss a lot, but you're going to start to, you know, get sidetracked and you're going to pick up on a lot of other things. And then you kind of lose the the initial impression that you should get whenever you're, uh, uh, you know, taking something in. Sure. Um, no, I think yeah. that's totally fair. I kind of agree and I'll make this move into death of the author but Mm -hmm. I like texts being able to stand as they are Mm -hmm. but if the outside context can help my understanding that works and that's basically what death the author is is taking away all of the background context of that author both their biography their time period the geography get rid of it don't need it just whatever is in the text whether that's a poem I guess suppose a song, mm-hmm. a book, what have you. Um, this was popularized in the late 1900s, and I feel like nowadays it's definitely a conversation. Oh yeah, but Absolutely. it's turning into more of an ethical, moral conversation rather than a literary conversation. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I I liked the whole discussion around death of the author because I think, like you're saying a text should be able to stand on its own. It should be its own entity to some degree because, and this can always be genre, you know, um, relative. Like if it's a factual piece, of course I'm going to want to check the author. Yeah. You know, because... It needs to be right. <laughs> yeah. And, if you know, you don't want to stand behind an opinion or something that, you know, maybe <laughs> you don't want to because right. like, imagine you're reading something and you look this guy up and it's, oh, it's a neo-Nazi or something. Right. And he's like, oh, whoa. <laughs> Uh, but then again, like consider like a book like Ready Player One or something like that. It's a whole universe, right? Mm-hmm. I want to read that as its own entity without the idea of this author having tons of its own opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, influence that experience and mm-hmm. like let me decide if I like this or not type of thing. Right. And that kind of goes back to intention. Mm-hmm. Like a writer can take a split second idea and turn it into a 500 page book. Mm-hmm. And they might be like, oh, I'm writing this for reasons A, B, and C. But the reader, without knowing those, if they're not super clear, could be like, oh, this means X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then the author would be like, no, I meant it A, B, and C. It's like, mm-hmm. well, well, I didn't get that. Like, yeah. it very much is up to what a reader says, even though it is the author's story that they mm-hmm. wrote. Yeah, I think uh, anyone who makes anything ever should mm-hmm. realize that it doesn't matter what your intentions were because right. it's all about what the audience decodes. Mm-hmm. And if you, if the audience doesn't catch what you want them to catch, then that's on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm of the grouping that is 50, 50 with death of the author. Kind of like what we were just saying mm-hmm. of, I like to take the text on its own, see what you can get from there. Maybe you get it in its entirety, but I think there's always something to add um, and just a few examples of that. These are kind of old at this point, specifically Shakespeare. Love to bring I, up. I still think it's relevant because it def- yeah. anyone can pick this this up today and like have a completely different opinion. Right. So most of the Shakespeare plays definitely stand on their own and make sense 
um, plot-wise, character-wise. You don't really need anything beyond that. Any themes that are relevant to it are self-contained. Mm -hmm. But when you learn about the political history of... in He was writing in between two different monarchs, and they were very different monarchs, mm -hmm. and so very different Englands. Um, he was a Catholic in a Protestant country, mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of like religious themes. And then even stuff that we're at a little bit more unsure of, of like race and gender and that sort of thing just knowing what the expectations were at the time just informs those plays so much more mm -hmm. and it allows you to bring them into a modern context like they don't they haven't died out in 500 years because 400 400 <laughs> years they haven't died in that time because they can still be interpreted because we have that extra context yeah um yeah and it's uh it's interesting that you say that because it, it it proves itself over and over like how many times has Romeo and Juliet been remade yeah like or you know a new yeah. iteration of it and the, the source material is the same but you know it's been adapted so many times mm -hmm. and then the other example that I think is really crucial um it's The Wasteland it's a poem by T.S. Eliot mm -hmm. and on its own is virtually impossible to understand when you just read it like you can maybe get like a vibe from it no idea what's happening and then even the footnotes which originally were written by Elliot are snarky and sarcastic because they were like you need footnotes and he's like fine and then just wrote pretty much garbage he footnotes had, he had an attitude he had an this. attitude because he's like I don't need to put footnotes and so with that one like you need the context of mm -hmm. when he was writing in mm -hmm. the modernist era and that his friends who were modernists were helping edit it and like they cut so much of it back and World War One, World War Two, all of that mumba jumba, <laughs> and <laughs> not that this is like a pro, or no. Not that I'm using this poem as an opposition to death of the author. I just think that that has its place. It doesn't need to be a universal, eliminate all creators. Yeah, no, it it's definitely is relevant to the discussion in the sense that that's what could happen. Like that's a, an example of what could possibly happen when the author or the creator has to justify what's in the text all the time. And then you get someone like TSL who basically has an attitude <laughs> and it's just like not even the, the source material, like the, the origin of the content is kind of skewed because mm -hmm. it's still like it's written in spite. Right. Yeah. Like we don't, we can't fully know what he meant mm -hmm. or wanted to say, considering then when he was asked to clarify, he was like, eh, yeah. okay, <laughs> figure it out. Whatever. And like, <laughs> in part, I'm like, yeah, I I get that. Let people figure it out on their own or let them put their own meanings to it. But also, help. <laughs> like, you've written such a confusing poem. How am I supposed to get anything of what you wanted? You don't understand the original piece and then you read the footnotes and you're more confused. It's, just even, so, oh. it's even worse. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, I was in a class when we read that and... The class was two hours long and it's like a six or seven part poem. And we only got through like two parts. Yeah. <laughs> like you could spend 48 hours just line by line with that, which mm -hmm. is really fun and really great. But I wouldn't get it at all if I didn't have freaking footnotes that yep. were written after him. <laughs> need the footnotes. I need the check pieces. I need everything. <laughs> get me the Quizlet. <laughs> Spark notes. I need to figure it out, man. Help. <laughs> Help. Anyway. Getting this back on track, um, I I just I think author intention is important, 
but it's not the end all be all yeah. of a piece. I think um, I think it's good to know mm-hmm. author intention and I th- or producer intention, author intention, whatever intention uh, it spawns from. But I do want to uh, take it in as is first, mm-hmm. and let me. Let, I want to form my own opinion, and then try and formulate my own idea where this comes from, mm-hmm. and then give me the the, uh, the answers. Yeah, or give me the background. Yeah. So I want to move this death of the author conversation now into kind of the more modern take on it, which is mm-hmm. the ethics and morals of. Uh, consuming content by creators that may not mm-hmm. be the most glistening of role models. Yeah. And maybe an obvious first person to talk about, but also a very easy example to talk about. This is, is an easy target. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, gotcha. <laughs> got him. Harry Potter, obviously, culturally phenomenal and sound and important and so influential on so many kids from our generation like learning to read wanting to read wanting to write Mm -hmm. um liking fantasy like getting into movies yes (laughs) like every so much of it can be pinned to that Mm -hmm. and that's fantastic and she was always super open to fan participation and i don't know like wanting it to exist in people's lives Mm -hmm. be a part of the fans like a fan base like Mm-hmm. it belongs to the reader type of thing. Right. And, like, I understood, like, that for so many years. That was, like, this is for the fans. This is mm-hmm. written for the fans. This belongs to the fans. Like, mm-hmm. nothing's going to touch this at this mm-hmm. point type of thing. Especially since it had some of that, like, youthful, mm-hmm. sometimes silly, just fun element. Like, yeah, there were the darker sides, but it never felt like it took itself too seriously. Yeah. And like, um, like you're saying, like, we grew up with this, especially mm-hmm. our generation. And uh, growing up with Harry Potter... You know, you follow this story for so many years and you have this general idea of what it's like. You kind of expect what's coming in the next book or the next mm-hmm. film. And then stuff happens. And then she makes some comments. Specifically, there is a lot of like weird transphobic comments mm-hmm. and other things. And her other books that have been published are not great and mm-hmm. for reasons and stuff. And a lot of people like friends I have who have Harry Potter tattoos and memorabilia and have read the books 20 times are all of a sudden second guessing. Wait a minute. Yeah. Why am I supporting someone who's very blatantly being mean, being rude <laughs> yeah. to a whole group of people? Generally goofing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so heartbreaking about this whole story, to be honest, the whole saga of JK Rowling. Uh, where we, like we said, growing up with this universe and then having the general idea and, like, what to expect and kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe, like, you you reach the end of the series and, mm-hmm. like, you come to terms with what happened. You're like, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Like, that's Very solid. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And then maybe a couple of years pass and then you, you're scrolling the internet and then, boom, J.K. Rowling tweets something. Mm-hmm. X, Y, and C happened to, like, this and that. And you're like, oh! What? <laughs> suddenly your whole world is disrupted. Yeah. The whole universe of Harry Potter is suddenly in some sort of like, it's not in, what's it called? Equilibrium anymore. Yeah. It's just yep. off balance. Yep. And that I think people have beef with that because mm-hmm. why? Why? <laughs> why, JK? Why would you have to do that? Because the problem is, well, it, mm, I was going to say, the problem is it doesn't exist in the text, but that's a different conversation yeah. with Harry Potter that we don't have time yeah. to have. Um but 
she like her personality her opinion shouldn't have to influence the books or like readers of the books but also it's like i can't in sound mind go purchase her book which therefore funds her like mm-hmm. gives her money mm-hmm. when she blatantly says things that i don't agree with mm-hmm. like i don't want to support that but then also theoretically like with that mindset you can find a reason to not support everybody yeah but then also i'm like okay but i still don't want to like go yeah. buy harry potter stuff yeah true you can think about it like this too like sure go and buy a harry potter book go and buy a jk rowling book mm-hmm. and uh read it and then look at her comments and now consider this then how valid is whatever she writes next mm, mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. If she can go back and change the contents or intentions of a book that was written 10, 15, 12, like mm-hmm. how many, ever many years ago, just on a whim, why would you need, why would you synthesize whatever you read next from J.K. Rowling right. when you know that very that, well there's a possibility that's not going to be true? Yeah, that it could just be changed or mm-hmm. added to. That Yeah, that's another side of J.K. Rowling. Not only did she have her bad controversy with stuff she was saying outside of Harry Potter, but she's also added a ton of content and world building yeah. and backstory after the fact. And like part of that definitely in response to the fan response, like mm-hmm. just the popularity um, with the movies and the later movies and all of that. But also if you wanted that in your world, include it in the books. Yeah, exactly. Just be like, I'm sorry. I own up that I had no queer representation in my books. Mm-hmm. I would rather you say that than be like, oh, by the way, this major character has yeah. been gay the whole time. Yeah. I'm like, really? There's no textual evidence <laughs> whatsoever. So yeah. miss me with that. Yeah, no. Yeah, like you're saying, I would be way better off if she was to just to be like, sorry. It was, Look, that, I was, miss- that was the time. Yeah. I don't have any representation in my book. Mm-hmm. Going forward, I'll make sure to think about that. Right. Like, right. It's not that hard. Right. Don't go back and start messing with stuff that people literally put in their, like, emotional luggage, so to say. Mm-hmm. Like, as a, like, a cornerstone of their childhood. Yeah. Like, it spawns so many different, like, paths for so many people. Yeah. Now you're going back and changing it. And not even that, like, all of a sudden claiming a character to be one thing or another necessarily has to be a bad thing but then it's like okay but then why not put it in the first place yeah. if you were apparently thinking about this the entire time yeah. or as always claims, saw them right and always claims. saw them as that way why not inc- like that seems like more of a slap in the face to be mm-hmm. like well did you not think to include it did what did yeah. you like were what, you scared to were you what, ashamed right like what's what? up with that it just brings up more questions yeah like it's just dumb. like if she were to do have done that, mm-hmm. she would have been a trailblazer. Yes. In arts and entertainment. Yes. When was Harry Potter released? And she already like you could argue she already was. Yeah. Just based on everything. the first book was ninety seven. Could you imagine releasing a major book release in ninety seven featuring you know uh, LGBTQ characters? Mm-hmm. Huge major trailblazer. Yes. Yeah. In a time where Hollywood was suppressing right. LGBTQ communities. Right. And communities of color, communities of anything. Mm-hmm. If you were not a cisgendered white individual, mm-hmm. Hollywood would suppress you. Yeah. Like, come on, JK. You could have been on top of this. I, I just hate the... It feels like backpedaling. Yeah. Of, oh, I, I meant it this way the whole time. They're like, well... Why don't you put it in there then? Scholastic didn't publish that. Like, <laughs> right. hello? So, yeah, going back, you know, ethics, the ethics and morals of death of the author, you know, you're... In J.K. Rowling's 
uh, situation. You're doing more damage than anything backpedaling like that and just you're trying to fix it you're trying to you know patch it up and you're just making the leak bigger than it already Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. she should have left it yeah and i think um in general speaking about authors from like 100 200 300 years ago that gets a little foggier because society was very different not that Mm -hmm. that would excuse like various things that they either did or said or included in their books but certain things were more okay than others Mm -hmm. But even that's always kind of a hard question of, do I want to read this book from early American literature? That's not great now. Very problematic now, in fact. I don't know. To me, I feel like having the context of history helps a bit. Mm -hmm. I think J.K. Rowling's situation just hurts more because it's now. It's very 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 close, too. Like, it's very personal. Yeah, like, we have personal relationships With Harry Potter, I don't have a personal relationship with someone from yeah. 1800. Exactly. And uh, I'm thinking about this too. Like, like imagine another major series that would like go back and backpedal. I'm thinking mostly. I'm thinking about Star Wars right now. Like, mm. you know that discussion: who shot first? Yes. Hunter Greedo. <laughs> it's like people are so mad about that one <laughs> scene. And like, oh, J.K., if you just had to listen to that conversation, mm-hmm. you would have known what was going to happen when you came out and said like, oh, all these characters are you know, X, Y, and C. Yep. Like, ah, oh, annoying. Like, people ooh, don't like it. Ooh, I have an example of queer representation gone wrong. Um, there's a popular YA author. Her mm-hmm. name is Sarah J. Mass. And she has three? She has two completed series. One is like one book in, and then I think another one is just about to start. I don't know. Mm -hmm. In her second series, she has a character that she has come out as bi, Mm -hmm. technically, at the end of the third book. Mm -hmm. The problem is all throughout the second book, there was this one guy pining for her for like 500 years because they're like... Whatever yeah, they can yeah, live that long. Yeah, he's been pining for her for like five hundred years, and she won't give him an answer, and she won't tell him, and she won't tell him. And those two, with these couple other characters, are supposed to be this like super close knit family, mm-hmm. like whatever. And so then the third one, when you find this out, and be like, oh, she's not into him because she's also just like not as into guys as she was at, or like yeah. people were assuming, whatever. And now there's the problem of okay. You just randomly threw that in there because fans were pissed that you had no queer representation, which there wasn't any prior to her in that series. But then also now you bring into question the entire dynamic of that like family friend group, because if they are so close and trusting and loving of each other as they would be, why would she be as scared to come out to them? Especially because like in that world, it seems like being queer isn't a problem. Mm -hmm. Like there are other mentions of it for very, very minor characters and just based on the this like family friend group, none of them seem they've all been painted as people who would be very open to that. And so now she's like, in order to f- crappily fulfill fans wanting actual good representation, she's made even bigger plot holes and <laughs> problems in her story. I'm like, you literally could have just been like, my bad. I didn't do it. That's mm-hmm. wrong. I will work on it. Yeah. I promise. Grasping at straws. But she's like, oh, I'll throw that in there. Book three. Yeah. Like, you have been not leading up to that (laughs) 
in any proper way. Major inconsistency. So poorly done. Yeah. Like, just... Intentions were great. Execution was so flawed, you could have just left it out, so to be honest. F- intention was even flawed because you weren't <laughs> intending it in the first oh, yeah, place. Absolutely. It was just like, oh, shoot, everyone's mad at me. Yeah. Like, desperation move. Desperation move and horrible execution. <laughs> it's a fourth quarter, no-look pass, <laughs> straight into the stands, man. Just backwards. Yeah. like, And stuff like that you see all the time. And I'm like, I... I totally want the representation in there. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do it, do it, do it well yeah. and with respect, yeah. too. Put some thought into it, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. just. Oh, I'm thinking, I want to tie this back to my, uh, my, my own professional photography. Could you imagine? Yeah, let's bring it full circle yeah. here. Imagine J.K. Rowling. Like, let's imagine me and J.K. Rowling switching places here. Like, you imagine I wrote Harry Potter. Why Harry am Potter. I talking to you then? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Kidding. No, no, no. It's still me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, me. okay, okay. But I wrote Harry Potter properly. Excellent work. <laughs> where, where I did not kill Can I have your autograph? <laughs> Absolutely. Here you go. Yes. But imagine a photographer going back <laughs> and showing off a series, a photo slideshow, a photo series of 10 pictures. <laughs> and then... At the fifth picture, he goes, oh, hold on. That's not what I intended to do. And just live photoshops and like Ronald McDonald was like, look, that's what I meant. On the bench. That's what I meant. Like, you can't do that in no. other mediums. No, like, not at all. I mean, sure, you can remaster a movie, but you can't go back and be like, yeah, movie one, two, and three actually contain these things. Like, all these characters were like that. Mm-hmm. Like, no. You Doesn't can't. remastering really just mean, like, fixing the audio to sound better yeah, and yeah. making it look a little better? Yeah, making it look a little better. Usually sharper. not, like, reshooting scenes. Yeah, not, like, rewriting a whole <laughs> page of script. But Call the like, actors back and they're 20 years old. Yeah, exactly. Like, that doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of annoyed at it because... I feel like if you're a producer of any kind, before you make something of a major public, like for a major publisher, do the work ahead of time. Like mm-hmm. do the pre-production properly. Mm-hmm. And then you don't Be have to Be confident ha- in yeah. what you wrote. Then you don't have to have an angry fan base. Yeah. I definitely feel like this problem exists mostly in the literature scene and mm-hmm. that readers then want to interact with authors. Yeah. And just like let it rest once you've published it like yeah you can still be like that's my book i wrote that but you no longer have the right to change it to add to it exactly if you were going to tough like (laughs) you already it's already out cooking man it's out that it's rough you can't do anything about it it's like you know the term let it fly yes just let it fly fly. let's see where it takes off to yeah like you're doing it for the fans. Yeah. Let's be honest here. Like, sure, you could say that you're doing it for yourself, you self-absorbed, <laughs> you know? But in, at the end of the day, it's the fans who are going to interact with it, and they're going to decode it in the way that they do. Right. And sure, you can disagree with what the audience says. Like, I've done that with my own work, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've done it with mm-hmm. you know people reading your work. But that's their that's their that's how they read it. And right. I think that's pretty cool, because, like, someone can take it straight out of left field and be like, no, that's what I think you did. Yeah. And I go... That's wrong, but that's pretty cool that you think that. Yeah, (laughs) and, like, there's always going to be a degree of it's not perfect. Like, I do that a lot with my writing. Like, there was a poem I wrote over J-Term, and I'm like, okay, it's done, and I have to let myself live with the fact that it's done because Mm -hmm. otherwise I'm going to go keep trying to tweak, even Mm -hmm. if it's just, like, word by word. But, like, for stuff that big, yeah, that shouldn't just be, oh, shoot, I don't think it's done. Yeah. No. And it's like, it's going to pass through so many hands, too. You right. know, just looking over it, proofing it, editing it. Right. Yeah. So 
So final thoughts, Song, on mm-hmm. anything that we talked about. What are you what are you thinking? I'm thinking that I'm thinking that the field of creative producing, writing, f- photo, editing, like whatever it might be, it's tough already. Mm-hmm. And it's even tougher when you're doing it through a major publication. And it's even tougher, tougher when you have a book deal, a movie deal, a toys deal, a mm-hmm. comic book, uh, action figure, like all that stuff. And trying to balance that. And then you have this massive fan base that are just watching your every move. And then you have to make a crucial decision mm-hmm. on like, all right, do I want to be contemporary and up to date or do I want to just leave my work as this? It's a tough question for anyone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, J.K. Rowling goofed it many a times, mm-hmm. but she still wrote Harry Potter. Right. And I think to some degree, yes, she can say what she want about that universe because in all regards... It's hers. She made it. Yeah. She made it. Granted, someone might, someone else might own it, but she, that's that spawned out of her head. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think she has a right to say something, but all of that stuff that I mentioned is also in the hands of the fans. Right. Because without the fans, there would be no Harry Potter. There would be no J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. There would be no T.S. Eliot. There would be no Shakespeare. There would be no J.J. Abrams. No Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. There would be no Song Johansson and no Maddie Peters. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, when put it out there for the world to see you've got to take what the world gives back to you and i think any producer who stands by what they did kudos hats off mm-hmm. that's the right thing to do yeah and i like to think about it like this too if you don't like what you did make another <laughs> own up to it and yeah. try again do make another like you've done it once do it again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you can yeah well said thank you yeah no, no comment your honor i'm the, the yeah. defense rests it's, i think it's a difficult topic you know it's, yeah. it's a lot of variables there's a lot of stuff to think about and you know you gotta roll with it sometimes yeah let it fly let it fly let it fly what's the latest news maddie let's get into that the first thing we've got christopher Plummer died sad oh i was crushed mm. he was 91 um so like long life and very successful very popular constantly working actor um sound of music Hmm. recently in knives out Hmm. all the money in the world up remember beautiful mind national treasure he was sherlock holmes for a little bit and that's Hmm. just the first page on google like there's (laughs) so much stuff that he did um yeah it's just kind of a bummer yeah i mean it's always sad when you lose a major major figure in in uh in, in the industry um Going off of that, uh, I'm going to skip one and mm-hmm. we can backtrack to that. Mary Wilson of the Supremes dies, uh, died at age 76. She was a founding member of uh, the Supremes and a big part of Motown legacy, mm-hmm. stepping into the ranks of, you know, Jackson 5. And uh, as I say, I, uh, I totally stay blank on yeah, every Marvin Gaye, you know, all <laughs> those, all the big ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of sad to me because I'm a... I'm a big fan of Motown, and my dad was a big fan of Motown, so we I grew up listening to that a lot. So mm-hmm. seeing, like, these legends go one by one, it's kind of just heartbreaking every yeah. time. And Yeah. But it happens. Life goes on. It does. Now I'm going to jump down um, to keep <laughs> in line with that. Yeah. The National Museum of African American Music opened this past Martin Luther King Jr. Day, mm-hmm. and they ha- it's in Nashville, and they have over 1,500 items, like mm-hmm. instruments, costumes, photos, what have you, so I'm sure Mary Wilson is either in there or mm-hmm. will be in yeah. there. Absolutely. 
Uh, should we talk about the Super Bowl? Yeah, briefly. Why not? Wow, what a terrible show. <laughs> wow, I'm so mad at that. Can you imagine having the audio of a poster of him from 1954? And you're The weekend? Come on, man. This is on a worldwide... A poster oven. This is on worldwide TV. Everyone in the world is watching this show every year. And you have this sound coming out. <laughs> if I wanted stadium audio, I'd be in the stadium. <laughs> if I'm at home, give me that 5.1 Dolby surround. I want that good stuff straight out of the board. Don't give me that muffled, no can't deduce stuff like I am fuming at that. I felt like that was the w most wasted time I've spent of 2021. The weekend, shame on you and your auto technician. What'd you think of the visuals? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I've seen many movies portray psychedelic and psychoactive uh, drugs. And that performance sure looked like one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think wow. it was in very much the weekend style. Sure. Uh, the way he performed. I think as a performer, he did just stellar. Like yeah. he was pouring it out there. Uh, and I think I would too if I paid $7 million to be <laughs> oh on the Super gosh. Bowl. But I can just not shake that audio thing because yeah. I come from that audio background, like that production background, and it just hurt my soul because I'm a big fan of The Weeknd. I love his music. Right. I think he's a, <laughs> he's a character with character. <laughs> and just like, I just wanted a good show, man. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, he had decent song selection out of the available yeah, songs Yeah, if I could hear him. him. <laughs> <laughs> if I even knew what he was singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It wasn't my favorite, audio issues aside, mm -hmm. it wasn't my favorite halftime show, but I also didn't think it was bad. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the the guys in the red coats. That was cool. I like, like that. Like, both when they were in that weird hallway, it just mm. was super silly, but then <laughs> down on the field was actually, I really liked yeah. that part. I thought it was cool. They were just, like, marching <laughs> in a straight line. Talking about, you know, concept albums that we brief that we talked about before. You yeah. Know? It's not just a concept album. It's just the whole concept that is The weekend. Right. I, you know, he fooled so many people with that whole plastic surgery thing. Yep. And now we just see it as, like, a part of this whole branding deal around the album. Mm -hmm. I, oh, chef's kiss. Yeah. Good job. But the poor audio. Oh, the audio. I'm sorry, audio technician guy, but I just had to rip you a new one on I that mean, one. I mean, it's the, it's the Super Bowl. Your How much time and effort and money goes into it? Exactly. I, you'd think like, we could get a, a nice sound. He definitely got paid. Uh, I could hear Tony Romo perfectly fine commentating oh yeah, yeah. the whole thing. You know, just mute the audio. Put the first two quarters of Tony Romo commentating <laughs> over the weekend's performance. Did you see that pass, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. That would be that, that yeah. would be in the show, but. Uh, side comment i mm. jim and tony are my favorite yeah football commentators well, tony Romo is an excellent football commentator. he's so he's so cute too like he's so like oh sorry i interrupted you jim <laughs> like this is great. great it's great what is your you have a favorite super bowl halftime show oh I don't remember them very mm. well after the fact. I remember liking Bruno Mars. Oh, that one was good with he was, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, he was really good. Um. Oh gosh, <laughs> like I don't. I I remember being really disappointed in Coldplay. 
because yep. I like them, yep. but also I didn't expect it to be great because their music doesn't quite lend itself to being like mm-hmm. a halftime show. I was disappointed in Maroon 5. Yeah, um, I didn't see that one. Lady Gaga was out. I her the songs she picked was were iconic, mm-hmm. um, but I don't remember anything else right. about it. The only thing I remember about Katy Perry was the Left Shark. Yeah, uh, <laughs> all I remember about the Left Shark show was that uh, Katy Perry made a brief like in <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Prince was good. Prince is my favorite yeah. all time Super Bowl halftime show next to the Michael Jackson ones. Yeah, mostly because Prince. Uh, if you watch that uh, behind the scenes one. He's like in there in like high heels, oh, shredding yeah. the guitar, uh, with these two like twin dancers just killing it, <laughs> and it just pours down rain on this slippery surface. If mm-hmm. you ever been like on a stage that's like covered or coated, you know you're gonna fall on your <laughs> bum. But Prince is just standing up there shredding in the rain. Yes. And the coolest part about that show and why I like it so much, he played none of his own songs. He played everyone else's songs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, except for Purple Rain. Right. Yeah. I feel like yeah, that would be a, yeah, just but, a requirement. But he played like Bob Dylan and like oh sure a lot. Of, like, pretty cool that he made like that Minnesota tribute. Yeah, I feel like it is hard to pick halftime performers because you do want to pick someone who's like current and relevant, mm-hmm. but also there someone are a lot died. of old performers that are still around that would yeah. definitely make a show out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now at this point, it, there's so much pressure. Like people will watch just that. Yeah. And a lot of times just to judge it, too. Yeah. To be like, oh, that was weird or bad or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't right. know. They're just very hit or miss. Yeah. I think, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun conversation to have each year because, you know, it's easy to compare. Yeah. All right. Moving on. I talked about this many, many moons ago. Uh, Be prepared for another. Very <laughs> excited for this one. So I wanted to see last Friday. If I could get a ha- my hands on Minamata, the new Johnny Depp film, because it's about William Eugene Smith, who was a uh, war photographer, he worked for Life magazine, and he went to Japan to cover the mercury crisis that was happening in the coastal communities of Japan. Sure. Uh, and so Johnny Depp made a, they, he produced a movie with this alongside a couple other producers, and it was supposed to release on Friday. Now, we were uh, on shift that day. Mm-hmm. And I was Googling it. I was like, oh, it's February, I gotta get it. February 5th, I gotta get it. Get it. <laughs> Could not find it. Not at all. Kept searching all night. Saturday morning, kept searching. Could not find anything. Oh, Jesus. I was like, I don't get it. Where, where's, what's happening with this film? Like, it's not in theaters. Like, of course, it's not on any streaming services. I can't barely, like, Google it. Mm-hmm. And then last night, I was looking it up. And the New York Post reported that Johnny Depp and Minamata made less than 15k opening weekend, which is I was like, "What? That's There's appalling. No, no way!" And if so, if that is the case, can we help this guy? Because <laughs> God knows he needs a, 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 a some a bit uh, of a boost. boost. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out that was not the case. The studio <gasps> said that the the movie didn't open at all, according <laughs> to the the website Cinema Blend. So MGM confirms in that C- uh, Cinema Blend post that the film did not open on February 5th to major audience confusion and they have an undefined or uh yeah undefined undefined release date <laughs> sorry <laughs> um so hopefully it'll be released sometime uh in the next few months so we could uh watch it and I can talk about it yeah and if not I'm going to be so furious <laughs> <laughs> fuming fuming absolutely fuming so. 
All right. Well, I hope that turns out well for you and that you can eventually <laughs> watch that. I feel like you need a win. Yeah, need a win. <laughs> Arts and Entertainment World, not working out for Not me, happening no. today. No. Um, last thing we have on here is the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards released their nominations, which like, ex- I feel like award season is always exciting, but mm-hmm. also with every award season, I care less and less. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to see what they had considering this past year has been pretty light on mm-hmm. the release standpoint. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of streaming service stuff, which yeah, of course, of course. And that'll be interesting once like theater stuff does come back, see how, cause like streaming services were already starting to infiltrate award shows, but they probably will even now or even more so now, even when like big blockbuster movie theaters stuff opens. But I wanted to mention um, Chadwick Boseman has a couple nominations Good. and he died late or mid to late 2020 mm-hmm. and I feel like that's just kind of rest in peace yeah and, but a nice homage to the work that he did definitely while he was able to and he has nominations for two different movies I believe mm. Um, we'll just see what happens with that yeah. but I'm glad that he's nominated the one of them is uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom it's on Netflix. I watched it uh, early December, and uh, I was so I was looking at, it, and then I saw him in that main character role, and I was like, "What? Shall we both? Like, mm-hmm. when did he have time to do this?" Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of got sad because you yeah. know the whole story. But man, that was a performance. Like, you watch that all the way through the end, you'll know what I'm talking about. Like, if, stellar actor. If he does not win for that one. I'm a right off the Golden Globes. Uh, <laughs> then you're at the level of the Oscars, man. Might as well. Because <laughs> that was very good. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. So, bittersweet for that, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, f- I remember that from Heath Ledger, too. Mm-hmm. Like, when he won, it was just like, damn, what a talent. And yeah. Ah, just yeah, and frustrating. It happens. Life uh, life happens. It does. There's some other nominations in there, too. That's... Uh, that we've talked about last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Queen's Gambit, one mm-hmm. of them, is in there. Ludwig Göransson mm-hmm. is in there for uh, music. And there's a couple other ones. The uh, Crown has the a Crown. lot, both for um, like the show, the and production the expo- and a bunch of the actors. Yeah. Um, I don't really know any of the movies. I haven't... I didn't look too much at them. I just yeah. kind of skimmed through it to see if there was anything that stood out. And there was like the shows that we talked about. Yeah the people that we've talked about on the show that's probably what i was paying most attention to so mm-hmm. well that's all the news we have that is all the news and that means it's the end of episode one of yes. season five yes it was a good one it was thank you everyone for tuning in coming back again how exciting song and i are very committed to making this a great season yes it will be our last as hosts but medium will stick around next semester Thank you all for listening in, and we'll see you next time.